In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Meister Eckhart said, If humankind could have known God without the world, God would never have created the world. He might have had our intertestamental lesson in his heart. For all people who were ignorant of God were foolish by nature, and they were unable from the good things that are seen to know the one who exists, nor did they recognize the artisan while paying heed to his works. For those who prefer to see this summarized in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, the question is the same. How could anyone, confronted with creation, not come to know and love the Creator? Seeing this world, how could one not know the God who made it? Creation, nature, is read in tooth and claw however, when you get close to it. Creatures are caught in trophic webs, and even plants crowd each other out, the dominant species in the succession blocking the light and dooming the aspirations of the seedlings in the understory. Yet step back, and the whole thing sings, even in its agony. And we feel in our own hearts the agony, the ache, and the hope, and the joy, all together as if it were our own. You need a certain courage to confront creation and still embrace creation's creator. The laws which bind creation in its fallen state are not the same as those under which the kingdom operates. And the kingdom is not come on earth as in heaven, not yet. Until it is, life will be lived according to plan B, the rules for a fallen nature, which is all based on power. Thank you very much. Even nature, all about power, all about law. A zero-sum game in which winners win big and losers go extinct. Survival of the fittest. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Fear not, that is. Don't be afraid. It seems to be the most recurring greeting which divinity gives to humanity when humanity is confronted with divinity. Don't be afraid. Of what? Of God? No, fear of God is okay. This fear is very much based in this world. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Is this the same Father, then, whose handiwork we see in the world around us, in the fire or wind or swift air, 
or the circle of the stars or turbulent water. Again, how majestic it sounds from a distance. What's it like when you get too close to that wind, to that swift air, and to that turbulent water? We can ask a few of our own people close to us who have seen God's power up close. And what has the carnage in the Caribbean revealed to us for fear and of faith? It's revealed how quickly you can go from having what you need to exist to having even that taken away. Your house, your car, your job, the clothes on your back, and the food on your table all gone in an instant. Jesus, at the end of today's reading, invites us all to give all those things up. I'm still trying. But the good news is, if we don't give them up, Jesus is going to come looking for them anyway. What we find on the other side of that might surprise us. Well, the topic of Today's little talk is poverty, in case you haven't guessed it by now, and you might well not have. And poverty, which is what St. Francis is all about. You thought it was global warming and endangered species. No, St. Francis is all about poverty, too. When we get to him, and we will, and poverty is what we all fear more than anything. Cut our brain in half and you will see the most massive, the most powerful, the most elegant, and the most potent system in our brain. And the most archaic is the system which springs us into action when there's something to fear. What is this poverty then that we fear? Nothing more or less than a state of utter dependence on God, if you wish, on his mercy and grace. And that we fear more than anything else, having to live by grace. Think about it, for 500 years, we've been proclaiming how wonderful it is to live by grace. And for the next 500, we're gonna be proclaiming it all over again, and it's the last thing any of us wants. And not only do we not want it, we are deadly afraid of having to live from God's grace, from the scraps that fall from God's table. Well, now to St. Francis. The church, as Father Ron Rollheiser has remarked, has done very well and grown very rich from St. Francis' poverty. From the day the young Francesco Bernardone stripped himself of the lavish garments which marked him and set him apart as a young man of privilege, folded them neatly, handed them to the bishop who handed them to his father, renounced all his worldly possessions and placed his future in the hands of the living God. From that day, the church has drawn much. And from this day, on Wednesday night, actually this Wednesday, the third, in the year 1226, that Francis was again stripped of his tunic of unbleached wool, the only thing he owned, worn and stained from years on the road, and laid his broken, naked body on the cold, hard earth, sister earth, to await the summons to come into the presence of the one he loved more than anyone or anything else. The church has looked at this dear saint 
as the second Christ, the closest thing that this world has ever given us by a long shot to Jesus Christ come back to this planet. But we do not recall so willingly the day that he made his mystic marriage to Lady Chastity and to Lady Poverty. Taken as a prisoner of war, the young Francis had seen his world change overnight. Having got through the horror of battle unscathed, he was captured, imprisoned, and held for ransom. He was indeed redeemed. But the experience of this incarceration, this wondering if ever any of his needs were ever going to be met again, if he was going to live to see another day, set in motion within him a redemption of a whole other kind. This young man, who had sought out only the companionship of privileged young men and women just like him, with time and money in plenty to dispose of, however they pleased, now found that his heart was restless, and the latest pleasures would no longer satisfy its yearnings. He became obsessed with lepers, whose incurable disease made them outcasts. They would have to shake a wooden rattle if they were coming into a public place so people could get out of the way and not see them. If by chance they had to encounter someone of higher rank than they, which was anybody else, they also had to make sure that they stood downwind of them so that not even their smell, which was quite distinctive, would alert people to their presence. They were to be unseen, unheard. But Francis sought them out, not just to toss them alms, but to embrace them. He writes about the first time he brought himself to kiss a leper. The utter horror that went through him as he crossed one boundary after another. And then this experience of grace which overtook him. He sought this experience again and again. He found himself embracing their poverty as well. And his compassion began to extend itself to fellow creatures of all kinds. Stories are told of his giving up of his cloak to redeem a lamb on the way to slaughter and taking the time on public pathways to stop and pick up the worms and other insects which might be trod on and place them safely in the side of the path. Poverty, and not just of spirit, and riches. Francis and his companions believed in living on God's grace. They did not even work. They made their living by begging, by throwing themselves on the mercy of others and of God for whatever they needed that day. And they learned to share, even when they had next to nothing, with those who had even less. It was inconceivable in Francis' heart that someday there might be hatched some Darwinian dogma of the survival of the fittest, a dogma, I may note, that has taken root even among those who most vehemently reject Darwin's ideas on creation, maybe especially there. And the creatures, prey and predator alike, 
trusted him. He brought this peace with him. And those natural enmities between prey and predator seem to be dissolved. The creatures gather together in the air and at his feet as he gave them the fruits of his preaching. They gather together as they surely will do in the new creation when all the trophic pyramids will be toppled for good. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord, Isaiah 65. I take these texts quite literally. People who often take every other verse in the Bible except this one literally take me to task. But I'm putting my money on this, such as it is. That's the hope we have, that the creation up close red in tooth and claw, will become the creation we sense in our hearts. That creation where God's power and God's love can actually come together. The sermon that Francis preached to the creatures, especially the birds, was always the same. He who made you is the best. Think of he who made you. Give praise to him for he is the best. Francis has his own psalm to sing as well, and we've sung a paraphrase of it this morning as our first hymn, the so-called Canticle of the Sun, or of the Creatures. This is how it opens. These are Francis' own words. Altissimo, omnipotente, buon signore, tu hai sole laude, la gloria e l'onore, et one benedizione. The Tuscan dialect, redolent with wood smoke and wild soy, sage and rosemary, burns through here with pungence. Most high, all-powerful, all-good Lord, all praise is yours, all glory, all honor, and all blessing. If this is pantheism, I don't recognize it here. This is a God who very much towers over his creation. But that's not all. Most high, omnipotent, he is saying, all-powerful and yet all-good, Lord. Your power and your love will come together when we no longer live in fear, fear of one another, the fear that so chokes this world right now. We will know only the fear of you. And you will tell us then, as you tell us now, don't be afraid. If you have any fear of me, it's history. It's done with. You need fear me no longer. We will meet at the cross with he who has gone ahead, who broken and naked himself, the one without sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, through whose shed blood the old way of fear, of sacrifice, revenge, honor, and shame has been put to death for good. Fear not, little flock, he says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
sell your possessions and give to the needy. Understand what it is to be free from the fear that tomorrow may not provide for you as today has. And begin to live into that present reality in which you truly, truly trust God to meet all your needs. And pray that there will be witnesses in this world which is so twisted and contorted by its own fears, in which so much grief and suffering is brought about because we fear we will never get enough of what never makes us happy anyway. Pray that there will be souls touched by the spirit of Francis and of his Lord who will give to us a sign of what it is to reach out through that fear and to give to someone else. If you want to lose that fear that you will lose what you have, give it to someone else who needs it more. Father, may you give to the weak and the meek, the poor in spirit who will bring in your kingdom and inherit the earth, the confidence to stay the course, the trust to rely on you, the hope to keep going, and the love, love the only thing that will last, to bring your future into our today for all your creatures every day. Amen. Please stand.